Peter says, to you who are believing, Jesus is precious. We have considered the preciousness of faith, the preciousness of Jesus' person, and today I would like us to think about the precious names of Jesus. And before we begin our lesson, let's just pray. Lord God, our Father in heaven, I pray as we take time to meditate on a few of the names of your Son, Jesus, I pray that we would do so with great reverence, but also, Lord, we would do so with great joy and great delight as we think about the meaning, the many meanings uh, that you have given, the many titles, the many names, the many designations that you have given in Scripture of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. May we be encouraged this morning as we think about the meaning of these names, Lord. May we truly see once again that Jesus is truly precious. His names are precious. We pray this for Jesus' sake, the one who saved us and has sanctified us forever. Amen. So I have a list this morning. There's many, many names of Jesus in the Bible. I think I was on one one website and one fellow counted about 100 names and titles and designations of Jesus used in both the Old Testament and the New. So we're not going to look at 100 this morning, but I did choose six. Six names of Jesus. And let's just start with that name, Jesus. <laughs> and if you want to follow along with these passages, or if you'd rather write them down, it's entirely up to you. Um, I just put down maybe one or two references for each point. But no doubt the, the name Jesus is used many, many times throughout the Gospels in the New Testament. So if you will, turn to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, right from the very beginning, uh, when... when uh, Mary was told that she would have a child when, when Joseph was told that his betrothed would have a child. Uh, they were told, both Mary and Joseph were instructed, you shall name your baby, you shall name your infant, Jesus. God gave them specific instructions on what to call Mary's baby. If you're there in Matthew chapter 1, And if you will notice uh, chapter 1, verse 21, this is uh, where the angel of the Lord appears to Joseph in a dream, encouraging him not not to divorce or put away Mary, because she has been found with child, but rather go ahead and take her uh, to be his wife. So Matthew 1, verse 21, and she, Mary, uh, Joseph's betrothed, will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Jesus, for he shall save, he will save his people from their sins. And then, of course, this also appears in Luke. Uh, If you want to look at Luke, uh, just go over to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1. Luke, chapter 1. This time the message is going to Mary. This, this was the message to Joseph in a dream in Matthew chapter 1. Now in Luke chapter 1 we have the message given by the angel Gabriel to Mary. This is uh, Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1 verse 31. And the angel Gabriel says to Mary, And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, he will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. 
So in the Matthew passage, uh, G, uh, the name is given to Jesus. He shall save his people from their sins, from their evil. And all that their evil sins brings upon them. In the Luke passage, uh, the Savior is called Jesus. And it's put in the context of Jesus being the great one, the Son of God, who's going to come and save his people and rule over them as king. Uh, both texts certainly depict Jesus as a savior. Well, that name Jesus is derived from the Old Testament name Joshua or Yeshua. And that name in the Old Testament, Joshua or Yeshua, means God saves, or we could also translate it, God is salvation. And what an appropriate name for the Savior who would come into the world. He has a saving, rescuing, delivering work or ministry. I think so often in the uh, Old Testament, God is loved and God is praised precisely because he's a saving God. Remember the greatest act of salvation in the Old Testament? God saved his people. He delivered his people. He rescued his people out of Egypt and from under the thumb of pagan Pharaoh. That's an act of God's salvation. And when God saves, what does God do? When God saves people, when God works on behalf of his covenant people and brings them salvation, God is also bringing them victory. They had victory over pagan Pharaoh and all the pagan gods of Egypt. And then they came out into the wilderness, and guess what? They were trapped up against the Red Sea and the ensuing and approaching army of Pharaoh. And the people got nervous. They cried out, Moses, do you know what you're doing? Moses said, just stand still. Just stand still and don't worry about a thing, and you're going to see the salvation of God. Well, God took of the took care of the Egyptian army. All throughout the Old Testament, God is loved and God is praised for his saving acts. God's people constantly turn to God and cry out and say, save us, save us, deliver us. And that's especially true in the Psalms. And so now God sends his Messiah into the world. He sends his Savior into the world, and Jesus comes to save people and to rescue people. You know, this is very humbling. We all need God's salvation. We need the salvation that is offered through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And Jesus saves us from many things. Uh, Let's just think about how Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. There's no condemnation of those who are in Christ Jesus We're never going to experience God's wrath and God's judicial sentence on on our sins that we have committed against him. That's resolved. Our sins are forever forgiven and we're reconciled to God and put in the right with him. Uh, Jesus also saves us from the power of sin, that evil impulse to run our lives. We're saved from ourselves. We're saved from our own selfishness and we're infused with the Holy Spirit who prompts us to love and to serve God. We're also going to be saved someday from the very presence of sin. Our bodies will be completely transformed and we will no longer be able to sin because we have been made completely like Christ. And you know something else that Jesus saves us from? He saves us from death. We haven't been saved from death yet. Uh, Unless Jesus comes before we die, we will die. Uh, But when Jesus comes, he will raise us from the dead and give us new bodies. So what I'm trying to say here this morning is that the salvation that comes to us through Jesus Christ is a full, complete salvation. We will be saved. We will be saved from all the effects of sin. Completely, totally delivered from all the bad, evil, vile, detrimental, injurious effects of sin and evil. Praise the Lord. God has sent us a Savior. Jesus is the salvation of God. God has sent us just the person we need 
to address our greatest needs of all. Jesus means salvation. Let's go to the next name I have listed here, Emmanuel. So if you want to go back to Matthew, this is uh, given in Matthew chapter 1 to Joseph again in his dream. Uh, Jesus is called Emmanuel. Emmanuel. This is Matthew chapter 1. In the dream, the angel says to Joseph, Now all this is uh, Matthew 1, verse 22. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying... And now we have a quote from Isaiah 7.14. Behold, a virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the Hebrew word. Which is translated, God with us. You know, I think of many saints in the Old Testament. They were told to cheer up. Don't be discouraged. You can do this. Because God says to them, I will be with you. I will be with you. Remember Moses, when, when God called Moses to go, go be the leader who's going to lead out the people of Israel, when Moses was assigned to uh, uh, be the person that was going to go stand before Pharaoh and, and tell Pharaoh, you know, let my people go. Moses tried to get out of it. He didn't want to do God's assignment. And Moses very pious. He said, Lord, you know, who am I? Who am I? very pious and humble. Who am I, Lord, that I, I, I should do this? And God says to Moses, Moses, you don't have to worry about a thing. I will be with you. Those are some of the most blessed words we hear in the Bible. Remember when God called Joshua. Joshua, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now you're the man. You're going to lead out my people. You're going to lead them into the promised land. And God says to Joshua, don't worry about a thing. I will be with you. As I was with Moses, so also I will be with you. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. Do not be overwhelmed with fear or terror. I am going to be with you. That's always been an encouragement to God's people. And now Jesus comes into the world. And Matthew, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Jesus, Jesus fulfills Isaiah 7, 14. The virgin is with child. She shall bring forth a son and, you're, and he's going to be called Emmanuel. God is with us. You know what that title says about Jesus? It says that Jesus is God. <laughs> Jesus is deity. God is with us. How good that is. How great it is to know that God is with us. Well, think of this conversely. Think of how bad it would be if God was not with us. If God and his power and his love and his mercy and his grace and his protection was not with us, where would we be? We would be left to fend for ourselves. But we're not left to fend for ourselves. Uh, God sent his son Jesus into the world. And uh, the great news here is that when God came down to earth to visit us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, God became flesh. The word became flesh. In John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. God wanted to pay us a visit, and he wanted to show us his glory. God became human. Perhaps this uh, title here, this name, Emmanuel, speaks to the wonder of the incarnation that Jesus became human. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became human. And Jesus promises to be with us. 
Remember what Jesus says in Matthew 28, verse 20, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And God has given us his Holy Spirit as a constant and permanent possession. The Holy Spirit is with us always. So we know that this name is precious because God is with us. God is with us in the person of his Son. God has promised to be with all believers and the believing community. We have not been left as orphaned children. All right, the next title I want us to consider is the title Christ. The title Christ. And this title, uh, well, let's go to Acts 17, uh, if you will, Acts 17. It is used here. Acts 17, we'll start here in Acts 17. If I did my count right, I, I took out my lexicon or my, what do they call those things? Concordance, thank you. And I think one time I did try to count how many times the word Christ was used in the New Testament. You know, that's what pastors do in their spare time. (laughs) They're interested in these kind of statistics. And if I counted correctly, which may be an issue, I think Christ is used 531 times in the New Testament. I find that amazing. So what I conclude from that is all the New Testament writers, all the Gospel writers, Paul, John, James, the writer of Hebrews... Uh, All the New Testament writers are absolutely convinced Jesus is the Christ. He is the Messiah. This word Christ is sort of the the Greek word for the Old Testament Hebrew word Mashiach, which means the Messiah. And it also simply means the anointed one. It means the Lord's anointed. Now in the Old Testament, uh, the prophets, the priests, and the kings were all thought of and referred to as the Lord's anointed. However, most frequently, most often, the king of Israel was referred to as the Lord's anointed. And so in the Old Testament, there is this uh, great body of prophecy that God is going to raise up a servant and send this servant into the world to fulfill his plans and his purposes. And this servant would be a savior, a deliverer, a rescuer, but this servant would also be a ruler and a king. In fact, that's what kings do. Good kings save and rescue their people. You might say the saving work of Jesus is a function of his kingship. So if you're there now in Acts 17, let's notice verses uh, 2 and 3, Acts 17. Then the apostle Paul, as his custom was, went into them... Uh, This is the synagogue of the Jews. He went into them, the synagogue, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the scriptures, that would be the Old Testament, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ, that is the Messiah, the Mashiach, the anointed of God, had to suffer and rise again from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. He's the Lord's anointed. He is the Messiah. And I just also have a reference here to Psalm 2. If you will, just let me refer to Psalm 2. Uh, here, uh, the psalm writer refers to uh, Jesus as the Lord's anointed that would come into the world. Uh, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Jesus is the anointed of God. In other words, Jesus is the one who has been appointed 
by God the Father to rule and reign. Notice as the text goes on, um, verse 3, Let us break their bonds in pieces, let us cast away their cords from us. The nations, the pagan nations of the world, want to break away and be free from the Lord and His anointed. But God who sits in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall hold them in derision. Uh, then God shall speak to them in his wrath and in his distress. Uh, he, and he will distress them in his deep uh, displeasure. And then God says in verse 6, Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. So notice in that reference how the Lord's anointed, the Messiah, is referred to as God's king that will be set in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. So Jesus truly is the servant of the Lord that would come into the world to carry forward God's plans and purposes. He is the one who will save, and he is the one who will rule over this world as king. I think of the words in uh, Revelation uh, 11, verse 15. Uh, The angel sounds the trumpet, and the announcement is given. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. So the name Christ is precious to us because this is the name that fulfills so many Old Testament prophecies. This is the one that God would send into the world to be Savior and a ruler. And this name speaks to us hope. Jesus is the Christ. He is the Mashiach. He is the Messiah. He is God's appointed king. We know where human history is going. Human history is linear. It's going uh, to climax when Jesus comes back as the king of kings and the lord of lords. Jesus is the Christ. He is the king for God's people. Let's go to the next title I have here. Son of God. Jesus is called Son of God. If you will, go to uh, John uh, 1, verse 18. If you want to look at a couple of passages here, go to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 18. Uh, In the Gospel of John, Jesus is most frequently called Son of God, more so than any other place in the the New Testament, more so than the other Gospels. Uh, Jesus frequently in the Gospel of John refers to his Father in heaven. He says time and time again, I have come not to do my own will, but I have come to do the will of my Father who sent me. Um, And he makes many great statements about his relationship to God as his Father. And of course, this kind of got the Jews angry that Jesus was was, um, referring to God as his Father. But this name, Son of God, conveys the, the supremacy and the supreme dignity of Jesus. Uh, just as an alternative to Son of God, in the uh, account where the angel Gabriel speaks to Mary, uh, the title used is not Son of God, but Son of the Highest. Jesus will be great and he will be called Son of the Highest. So that uh, means the same thing. Uh, it's a testimony to Jesus' greatness. So there in John chapter 1, verse uh, 18, uh, No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He, Jesus, has declared Him. Jesus declares, Jesus reveals God the Father. So we have that expression there. Uh, Jesus who is in the bosom of the Father. Let me say a few things about the Son of God and what it means. Jesus as the Son of God occupies the closest position, the closest relationship to God the Father of any being that exists. He is the closest. He, He He is the closest one to God the Father. 
He was with God the Father in the beginning, and he, and he also was God. He was deity. Uh, this might be the same thing as what uh, Jesus says in the Gospel of John chapter 10. Um, the Father knows me, and I know the Father. We know each other more so than anyone else. So Son of God conveys the idea that Jesus occupies the closest relationship with God in the entire universe. In fact, at one point in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, I and my Father are one. Perfect harmony, perfect unity between God the Father and God the Son. This title, God the Son, also conveys a love relationship. The Son of God is the Son of God's eternal love. The Son of God is eternal, and God has eternally loved His Son. I think of uh, John uh, 15, where Jesus says there to His disciples, As the Father has loved me, so I love you. So this term speaks of love. God the Father's love for His Son. It also conveys the idea that Jesus is the sent one. Jesus is the one who has been sent by his Father to accomplish a certain plan and a certain purpose. It's like the Father uh, not wanting to go himself, so he sends his uh, good Son to take care of something very important. And so we have that in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. In this way, God shows his love for the world because he has sent his only begotten Son. He has sent his one and only Son. He has sent his precious Son into the world that the world might be saved through him. Not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent sent his who his son, the son of his eternal love, into the sin-sick world to be that propitiation for our sins. And the title Son of God also conveys the idea that Jesus is deity. Jesus is God. I remember when uh, G- Jesus called God uh, his Father in heaven, the Jews all get angry because they understood Jesus was making himself equal with God. Interestingly enough, even among the pagan Roman emperors, when the Roman emperors took to themselves the title Son of God, they were elevating themselves to the rank of deity and taking their place among the gods of the state. So even, even in, you might say, secular usage, even the way the Roman emperors, the pagan Roman emperors, used the title Son of God, it was intended to convey deity and divinity. So what's so precious to us about this title? Yes, it shows the the supremacy, the supreme greatness of Jesus. He is not just anybody. Jesus is the Son of God. The sent one, the one who's been loved by the Father. The one coming into this world for a mission. He who spared not, writes the Apostle Paul. He who spared not his only Son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not also, along with Jesus his Son, give us all things? God gave us the best. God sacrificed and sent His only Son, the one who was near and dear to His heart, the one whom God the Father loved for all eternity. God sent God the Son into this world to save us from our sins. This name is precious because it testifies to the profound love of God. God God would not withhold not even His only Son in order to save us from our sins. Let's go to the next title here. Just two more to go. And I trust they'll bless your hearts. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. Uh, The Gospel of John chapter 10. If you're in John, just turn over to chapter 10. Notice that Jesus is not just a shepherd. He is not a good shepherd. He is the good shepherd. (laughs) There is only one good shepherd. 
and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and there's a parallel passage in Hebrews which speaks about Jesus being the great shepherd of the sheep. Uh, that through the blood of the everlasting covenant came back from the dead to uh, perfect us and transform us. But here, let's notice John 10, if you're there now, John 10, verse 11. John 10, verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And then he goes on to talk about the hired hand. The hired hand, well, the hired hand, just sitting around to collect the paycheck, sees the sheep coming and doesn't want to take any risks, so sees the wolf coming rather and just leaves the sheep and runs, and then the wolf catches the sheep. But not so with Jesus. In other words, Jesus as the good shepherd. Oh, Jesus is going to stay right by the sheep. Jesus is not going to leave the sheep. He's not going to abandon his flock. Jesus is going to be right there. He's going to protect his flock. He's going to defend his flock. He's going to save his flock. He's going to nurture and nourish his flock. He's going to do the best to take care of his sheep so they are loved and they are healthy and they are content and they're well-fed and they have peace. We recited earlier the 23rd Psalm, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd, or as it says in the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Lord is shepherding me. Therefore, I shall lack nothing. I shall have no deficiency because of the Lord's goodness. So notice uh, verse uh, four, uh, Notice again, um, uh, verse 14, and it appears again in verse 14. I am the good shepherd, says Jesus. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and am known by my own. And I don't think that word just means that Jesus has sort of mental awareness or mental cognition of his sheep. And his sheep have mental cognition of Jesus or are aware of Jesus. I think that word no takes on a little deeper meaning. I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep. I delight in my sheep. I enjoy my sheep. Jesus just loves being a shepherd. And you know, in the ancient world, uh, shepherds weren't always too highly thought of or respected. I mean, they just worked with animals and they probably smelled like the sheep. And, you know, it wasn't a real high position in society. But Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my sheep. I know them. I know them thoroughly. I'm, I'm completely familiar with them. I enjoy being with them. I delight in them. And am known by my own. In other words, my own. My sheep also delight in me. My sheep enjoy being with me, the shepherd. As the Father knows me, as the Father delights in me, even so I know the Father and I delight in the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Why does Jesus lay down his life for the sheep? Because he loves the sheep. And there's nothing that Jesus will not do to save and tend and fend and help his sheep. And it's also the will of God the Father uh, that he lay down his life and so on. So just consider how blessed we are that Jesus has given this, this name, this designation, this title, the Good Shepherd. Oh, and by the way, we, we, we don't need to go out and hire a life, a life coach. Jesus is the Good Shepherd. We don't, we don't need a life coach. Just let Jesus lead us and guide us. He said, as I quoted earlier from Matthew 11, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. That's, that's the Good Shepherd that invites us to come to Him. So let's trust in Jesus. And one last uh, name or title or designation that I'd like us to look at this morning is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And what I find so frequently in the epistles is that Jesus is spoken of as our Lord. That's how it comes out in the English translation. Now we, we often gloss over this. Oh, we just read the Bible. Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
and we, we just kind of pass over it real quick. And oh, that, that's one of the great names of Jesus. Oh, that's all well and good. But if I, if I could just say it in a little different way, Jesus Christ, the Lord of us. Now, when you put it that way, not just Jesus our, uh, Christ, our Lord, but Jesus Christ, the Lord of us. Oh, boy. Now there's a certain identity that we Christians have. We are Christians precisely because Jesus Christ is our Lord. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. Well, Jesus came, and he started his ministry. And you recall how Jesus did all those signs and wonders and miracles? How he went about doing good. He showed the mercy of God and the power of God. He cast out demons. Jesus showed that he was Lord over the demons. Uh, When Jesus was in the presence of demons, the demons feared and trembled. Jesus healed all manner of sickness and illness. He he opened the eyes of blind people. He gave them sight. Uh, Jesus uh, cured that uh, skin disease called leprosy. He made them clean. Um, Jesus just healed many paralyzed people. He even raised people from the dead. So Jesus showed his mastery and his lordship over disease and death. Jesus even showed his mastery and his lordship over nature. Remember the storm that came up on the disciples crossing the Sea of Galilee? and Jesus went to the front of the boat and said, Peace be still, and there's a great calm. So Jesus shows his lordship or his governance or his rulership or his dominion over all these things. But then, then Jesus was arrested. Remember the Garden of Gethsemane? They, they arrested Jesus and took him away for, to these trials, and then he was crucified. We can't help but you know, imagining what the disciples thought. It just didn't seem like Jesus was lord anymore. But remember what Jesus said while he was being arrested? And Peter was all upset, uh, took out his sword and cut off the, 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 the servant of the high priest's ear. Jesus had to put it back. But remember what Jesus said? I can ask my Father in heaven for 12 legions of angels. In fact, I can ask my Father in heaven for more than 12 legions of angels. And they'll come to my rescue. So Jesus was still Lord when he was being arrested and tried, and even while he was being crucified. And we see the lordship in a powerful way when Jesus was raised from the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead, and God exalted Jesus to his right hand to be a prince and a savior, says Acts 5.31. We have in the New Testament the, the, the resurrection of Jesus, and following the resurrection is the ascension of Jesus to God the Father's right hand. So when Jesus was raised from the dead... His ministry as the suffering servant of God came to an end. And the new ministry, the new role of Jesus as Lord has begun. I think of uh, the preaching of Peter in Cornelius' house. I think it's uh, Acts 10. Jesus, uh, Cornelius starts, uh, uh, or Paul, Peter rather, Peter. Peter starts preaching to Cornelius and he starts telling uh, Cornelius the gospel and all those in his house, and he, and he sort of breaks off and he says, Jesus is Lord of all. That's a great statement. Jesus is Lord of all. And Jesus is now at the right hand of God the Father, and he is the one who's going to come back, and he's going to reign and rule in this world as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now let's get to the passage I have up here, Philippians. This is really one of the great passages in the New Testament that speak of Jesus' lordship and how God is glorified whenever anyone acknowledges truthfully and sincerely Jesus as Lord. So if you will just notice this passage, and we'll conclude our Bible lesson with this great passage here. 
This is Philippians chapter 2, verse uh, 9 through 11. Of course, the Apostle Paul has just spoken about the death and the dying of Jesus, his humiliation, his willingness to go to the cross, and he was so obedient, he even went to the, the cross, and he died. Now verse 9. Therefore God also has what has highly exalted Jesus and given him the name, given him the name, the title, the designation, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whenever any person confesses and acknowledges Jesus is Lord, He's the one that came into this world sent by God the Father. He was crucified. He was raised from the dead. He's been exalted to God the Father's right hand. God the Father is happy and God the Father is honored and God the Father is glorified. Or to say all of this in other words, God takes great delight in all those people who love and respect His Son for who His Son really is. His Son is the Lord. And Jesus proved His Lordship during His earthly ministry, all right, but Jesus really proved His Lordship when He was raised from the dead and He had the power. He had the power over Pontius Pilate who sentenced Him to death. He had the power over all those conspiring Jewish leaders who, who wanted him killed and out of the way. Uh, Jesus showed that he had the power in his resurrection over death itself, our most dreaded enemy. And Jesus in his death and resurrection showed that he had the power over all the powers of darkness, including the devil and demons. Jesus is Lord. Lord over all. Not just Lord over a few things. But he's Lord. He's Lord over all creation, over our human bodies, over sickness, disease, the devil, the demons. He's Lord over all politicians, including Pontius Pilate and the Roman Emperor. Now, think about the one to whom we belong. We've been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ in his death on the cross. We're going to share in the triumph of the one who is Lord. We belong to the Lord. We belong to the strong one. We belong to the one who is invincible. He's the one. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who holds us in his hands and will never let us go. Jesus as Lord is the one who is the head of the church. And so it's a great delight to say. It's a great privilege for me to be able to say. It it, it speaks great volumes of peace and security to my heart to be able to say, Jesus is my Lord. Remember when Doting Thomas saw the nail prints and the mark of the sword in Jesus' side? First he was unbelieving, and then Thomas finally believed. And in the presence of Jesus, Thomas fell down and said, My Lord and my God, Jesus is Lord. That's precious. Let's pray. Lord, I just uh, pray as we close our service today, Lord, that you just use these names that we have talked about for a few moments to encourage all of us. May we have great joy and delight in all of these names. May all these names be precious to us. May we appreciate the the meaning of these names. And Lord uh, Jesus, may we love you more. May we trust you more. May we sing your praises more. May we pray to you more because you're precious to us and your names are precious. We ask this for your sake, that your name and all that your names stand for might be honored and glorified in the way that we live our lives. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Amen. Our final hymn I selected was uh, Take the Name of Jesus with You. We might think of uh, taking the many names of Jesus with you.
And there are many. There's many more that we have not even discussed this morning. But I wanted to mention at least these six this morning. So let's go to 705. 705, take the name of Jesus, or take the many names of Jesus with you. Joy and comfort they will give you. And I hope that's true for you as well as for me. 705. Go ahead, Jonathan. 